Welcome into the newest edition of the Checkerboard Chat. Having a second issue for you guys this week as we dive into some of the smaller sports on Tennessee's campus. We'll look at the Tennessee baseball team, softball team, soccer and volleyball team all in action this spring. We will start in this first segment with the Tennessee baseball team. I'm Ryan Schumpert, joined here by one of our Tennessee baseball beat writers and our assistant sports editor at the Daily Beacon, Josh Lane. Josh, what did you see from Tennessee in their second week of the season? They pick up two midweek wins over a bad Arkansas Pine Bluff team before splitting a four-game series with Indiana State. Yeah, um, I mean, kind of kind of an up-and-down week for Tennessee baseball. Um, you know, like you said, Pine Bluff, not a good team at all. Um, so Tennessee was able to put up 35 runs in two games on them. I mean, just a total offensive domination of that but then, you know, they faced a little bit better team against um, against Indiana State this weekend, and they, you know, they uh, they split the series. So, <laughs> some offensive, you know, a couple guys, a couple big contributors um, from last year have not been off to the best start. They've uh, not had the most timely starting pitching on a couple of occasions, but, you know, up and down week for Tennessee baseball, really. Yeah, I agree that. What stood out to me, and we'll talk about it in a second a little bit, is the the hitting not quite, you know, it wasn't horrible, but not quite on par with what you'd expect. But the other thing that stood out to me was just Sean Hundley. I mean, we've, we've known for the past three years that he's a good pitcher, a reliable pitcher, but he's just been really, really good this year, and he was huge for Tennessee this weekend. He comes in and throws with a one-run lead in the sixth inning against Indiana State in game one, throws four scoreless innings, doesn't give up a hit. And then Sunday he gets thrown into a really bad situation with Tennessee's starting pitcher Jackson Leaf going down on the third batter. So he has to come in the game in the first inning. But, again, not rattled, has a really good performance, only gives up two hits. Now he, he did give up two runs as they came back-to-back an infield hit and then the one mistake he made giving up a two-run homer. But five, in, five innings, five and two-thirds innings, six strikeouts, only allowed, I believe, three base runners. He's just been remarkably efficient, and they really can seems like can throw him into any different situation, and he's going to be composed and be able to get outs for Tennessee. Yeah, absolutely. And I know I think we might hit on it a little bit later, but with Jackson Leith out, he might be a guy that Tennessee turns to, you know, to really start some games and pick up some innings. I know he's been primarily out of the bullpen, but with just how dominant he's been to start this early season, um, Sean Hundley definitely definitely been a, a bright spot for Tennessee, and I think you know Vitello might might look to him to pick up some starts here if for however long Jackson Leaf might be gone. And another you know takeaway I had this wasn't necessarily Tennessee specific, but across the country you saw you're seeing a lot more of upsets and things like this happen where Indiana State splits four games with Tennessee with the seniors being able to come back. You're seeing these mid major teams be better than they really ever have and. Despite the fact that Tennessee split four games against Indiana State, they didn't drop in the polls this week, stayed at 18 in D1 baseball's poll. You know, a ton of teams either lost series to mid-majors or lost a game or split series. So it's going to be competitive. You know, you're going to have to bring it every single week. And where I know we'll talk a little bit more about Georgia State here at the end, but they were pr- predicted to finish last in their division in the Sun Belt. And they started the year by splitting a series against the West Virginia team ranked in the top 25. And then, they got one win out of four at Vanderbilt this weekend and were very competitive in two of those games. So it's going to be a challenge. You're going to have to have consistency and it's, that can sometimes be difficult in a sport that you're playing five games, four or five games a week to, to bring in every, every day. But 
certainly something that will be interesting to watch going forward. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Tony Vitello has said it all year with the with the short shortened MLB draft, the extra year of eligibility, seniors, uh, more players are coming back, and it's really boosting up these college rosters, really making some good teams. And I think, you know, this might have been a bit of an eye-opening weekend for Tennessee against um against Indiana State. Maybe they hadn't full, you know, they've they've heard that, but they hadn't fully realized what that looks like. What you know, a team with a bunch of of, of better players looks like, and so. You know, I think going into this next week against Dayton, but particularly against Georgia State, um, I, you know, I think we might see some some better performance here now that they've, you know, finally realized just and seen it in action, just how good college baseball is this year, how competitive it can be and that an upset can happen at any time. Yeah, you talked about it a second ago. The hitting not off to quite as hot as a start, just scored 16 runs in over four games this weekend. Hasn't been awful, just hasn't been quite up to expectations any concern there for you long-term? Is that something that is just kind of a blip on the radar right now or, or a, a larger issue for Tennessee? You know, right now, I'm not I'm not too concerned about it. I, there's plenty of time for them to turn it around. And, you know, it is a start to the season and it's been such a weird, crazy off season. But, you know, it is a little, a little concerning that, you know, some of your biggest contributors from last year, I'm looking at, you know, Max Ferguson here, um, Luke Lipschitz, Evan Russell, who has been injured, but, you know, he's, you know, batting under 200 right now. So Connor Pavoloni has one RBI right now. So a couple of those guys that were big pieces of their success last year, you know, that have, have really struggled out of the gate. And like I said, I, I'm not too worried about it long-term. I'm, those guys are, you know, they've had racked up the awards. They're such good players. There's definitely time for them to turn around and I think they will be able to, but, um, it has it has been a little little bit of an issue for Tennessee this weekend, but I th- I think there's definitely time they're definitely able to turn it around. Yeah, I would say it's, it's a bit of a question mark at this point. I don't really think it's a huge concern just because, like you said, it's the experienced guys that are struggling. You looked at the guys kind of before the year, the younger guys. You're like, if these guys can make steps, Tennessee could be really good. And those guys have made those jumps. Jordan Beck sitting three thirteen has three homers and twelve RBIs. Drew Gilbert sitting three oh three. He's both those guys have made really good jumps from their freshman to sophomore seasons. And then it's the, kind of the juniors and the seniors that are struggling. And especially the juniors that were kind of supposed to be the stars of Tennessee's team, Connor Pavoloni, Jake Rucker, Max Ferguson. And you saw Vitello, he talked about it Sunday after the game that you sometimes see juniors, they have a lot of pressure on them. You know, this is the first year they can be drafted since high school. You see this, those guys sometimes put a little too much pressure on themselves, press a little bit early in the season and struggle he didn't seem to be overly worried about it. I don't think it should be something that will be a massive long-term concern for Tennessee. You even saw Jake Rucker started to hit better this weekend. He hit 313 through those four games. So you're already seeing him start to kind of come back to form. And I thought Connor Pavoloni had some better at bats. Only had one hit and a, a sack fly on Sunday, but I thought he looked a lot more comfortable at the plate than he has. We talked about it a second ago, but Jackson Leaf goes down with a, what looked to be a left hamstring injury in Tennessee's Sunday win over Indiana State. Just how big of a loss is that? And what does Tennessee do? Uh, where does Tennessee turn now without him? Yeah, I mean, that's that's a huge loss for Tennessee. It's, I don't know, I think it's still kind of unclear at this point how how serious of an injury it is, what the timetable looks like. You know, let, hamstring injuries, you know, that can, that can be a serious one sometimes. So we'll just have to wait and see about that. But if he's out for an extended amount of time, 
Um, that's that's a huge that's a huge blow for Tennessee. I mean, he was he was probably their best pitcher from a year ago last year with the strikeouts and the you know the run prevention and all. And so he had such a great start last week too, um, and you know his first appearance of the year. And so with you know kind of the pitching the starting pitching struggles out of a couple guys that that's happened this past weekend for him to go down like that. That's a big blow, and you know, I kind of mentioned it earlier, but Tennessee they have they have depth at the starting at pitching. You know, I don't think they're going to be struggling to find a guy there. No one's you know going to pitch as well as Jackson Leaf, except you know maybe if they throw Sean Hundley in to start or someone else like that. But you know, I think Vitello has options. I don't think a lot of them are going to be as good as Jackson Leaf has. Um, but you know, it it definitely has been a big blow right now, depending on how serious this uh, this injury may or may not be. Yes, yeah, certainly. And Vitello just gave us had a little bit post game. Yeah, it didn't seem like he'd gotten fully briefed on it, but he thought maybe a week or two he'd be out. Just the way I've watched Vitello handle injuries the past few years, I would think we probably won't see him until right before SEC play, maybe a short appearance to get him reared up. And you know, we saw that with Garrett Crochet last year that they were very cautious with him as he was dealing with a left shoulder injury. But I mean it's it's a really big loss and he's a guy that can be one of Tennessee's he's probably Tennessee's most electric pitcher when it comes to his ability to strike guys out and one of the best pitching prospects it was funny at the game yesterday there was about 20 scouts there that I'm assuming they were there to watch Leaf and of course Leaf goes he down goes two, first two, two batters into the game and they they're just kind of sitting there stuck you know watching the rest of the game that was a little bit funny but well I mean what's important about it is what we're going to get into next and that's Tennessee's starting pitching has not been excellent to this point this year. We knew Tennessee, that was kind of a question mark. They had no one returning that had SEC experience starting. Chad Dallas has been, you know, he's been the Friday starter and he's been pretty solid so far this year. Blade Tidwell, a true freshman, you know, all right, not not quite as good as I think Tennessee expected him to be, but he, he hasn't been bad and he's given Tennessee chances to win. And the fact that he's a true freshman, he's going to stay in that spot. They're going to keep riding with him. So the one guy that kind of seems like maybe the odd man out is Elijah Pleasance. He was all right in his first start at Georgia Southern, but really, really struggled on Saturday. Gave Tennessee just two innings, giving up five earned runs, walking two batters and giving up four hits. And that's where losing Jackson Leaf, you know, he's a guy that I kind of thought they would eventually move into the smart starting weekend spot. But without him, what do you do if you're Tennessee? Do you go to Sean Hundley? Do you give Elijah Pleasance a, another chance another week or do you look for other options on the roster I think they're gonna have to start out with giving Elijah Pleasance another chance you know he's he's got he's got some experience you know being being a junior I think and he you know he wasn't too bad last weekend but you know they're against Indiana State it really got roughed up but they they can't really afford to uh you know to have to have anybody else really except maybe Sean Hundley so they're definitely going to have to have Elijah Pleasant step up. And I think he's probably going to have a short, a short lease with that, you know, maybe one or two more weeks. And if he's not getting it done, then they're going to have to turn to somebody else, but he's definitely, he's definitely going to be someone that Tennessee is going to have to rely on just, <coughs> excuse me, to give them uh, some solid starts. And, you know, Sean Hundley might be the guy that they, they turn to for to replace Jackson Leaf in in some in some capacity. He, like I said, he's been primarily out of the bullpen, but 
he, he did give him, you know, nearly six innings of work uh, yesterday. So I think he's definitely got the he's definitely got the ability to go for a long stretch of time. You know, I think they'll maybe continue to stretch him out, and uh, while Jackson Leith is on the mend. Yeah, I think there's no doubt that Sean Hundley could be an effective weekend starter. For me, I just a guy like Hundley that's so comfortable in every position they've thrown him in the last three years. He's just so valuable in the bullpen, and for me, I think he I. If I was Vitello, I would long-term want to keep him there. Now, I don't think it's a bad idea to start him a couple weeks while you don't have Jackson leave. I'm like you. I'd probably give Pleasance another start this weekend. But if Pleasance struggles, I wouldn't be shy to give Hundley a weekend start because he can, he can do it effectively. But I think Tennessee's pitching staff long-term has the highest upside when you keep him with Redmond Walsh in the bullpen. That gives Tennessee two really consistent, really reliable arms that are just about as good as anyone you're going to see in the SEC out of the bullpen. But the other thing that makes it difficult, I would say, for, for Vitello is you look at those other options before the season of guys that could be weekend starters. Jason Rackers has just had one appearance. He started last week, one of the midweek games against Arkansas Pine Bluff. He's still not quite 100% from his Tommy John surgery last year. And then you have Camden Sewell, who was, didn't pitch much last year because he was injured, was really effective as a long reliever as a freshman. He's a guy that I thought really could fill that role and be an effective weekend starter. Through two appearances this year, he struggled out of the bullpen with a 5.06 ERA. So it's certainly not as easy, not as clear for Vitello, but it will be interesting to see how he handles that both this week and, and going forward. And obviously a lot of that will depend on the official diagnosis of Jackson Leaf and just how long he's going to be out. Yeah, absolutely. You, you. I mean, you've listed off plenty of names. Vitello has options. Um, they have depth, although just the general, you know, lack of experience is, is a bit of an issue. Um, you know, just the the performances that have, have happened this year has been a bit of an issue from those guys. Um, none of them, you know, none of them are going to be quite the, as effective as Jackson Leith is. They're not going to bring you know the same amount of strikeouts, the same stuff, but. You know, as they, Tennessee doesn't have a whole lot of options right now, anyway. So they're gonna they're gonna be looking to some of those guys for some innings. But um, like you said, it'll be definitely interesting to see what Vitello does, and it'll all depend on uh just how bad Jackson Lee's injury is. Yeah, certainly. And on our way out of this first segment, Tennessee has a midweek game with a one and five Dayton team before facing Georgia State this weekend, what are you watching for, for Tennessee to, to be well at kind of improve at this weekend? And, and what do you know about Georgia state and Dayton? Yeah, well, um, I mean, we're watching for some of these same things we've been talking about is that the, the offense from a couple of their contributors, some of their older guys, um, they're going to have to step up particularly in the weekend series. You mentioned Georgia state beat Vanderbilt. So, you know, you know, I mean, you know what they're capable of. They're, they're a solid team that I think, you know, they, they do have a losing record, but they're a solid team right now. So definitely tap- capable of upsetting Tennessee if they don't um they don't come out and play this weekend. So the offense is going to have to pick up whoever starts this weekend, um, you know, outside of Dallas and Blake Tidwell. Um, they're going to have to have some – they're going to have to give some, Tennessee some quality innings. Um, like I said, I'm not, I'm not too worried about this week. Dayton's not really a good team. I still think Tennessee will probably go three and one or four and zero, maybe if I had to guess. But you know, the offensive, the offense is going to have to pick up from those couple of guys that have been, that have been slumping here to start the year. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see if Vitello 
mixes up the the lineup a little more. He did that a lot the first weekend, but was pretty consistent with who he had out there the second weekend, especially in the outfield. Had Evan Russell in left, Drew Gilbert in center, and Jordan Beck in right all those games. You've seen Kyle Booker play well when he's given opportunities this year. You've seen Christian Scott be a, a pretty reliable fielder and bat. So I wonder if he mixes that up. And then on the pitching staff, you know, I think the biggest thing I'd be looking for is see if Blade Tidwell can really put together a full good start. Obviously, he was pitching in the rain on Saturday. In, I'm sure he had never played in conditions like that. Tennessee can play in a lot worse weather conditions than any high school can do to the turf field. So, like I said, he's been solid eight innings. I think he's just given up two earned runs. But can he be a little more uh, – put it, all, put it all together, be a little bit more efficient, be a little bit more sharp, I think will be worth watching this weekend when he starts against Georgia State. But that will do it for this first segment of the Checkerboard Chat. We will be back in segment two to talk about the Tennessee softball team, who's also off to a strong start this season. Welcome into the second segment of this Checkerboard Chat. I'm joined now by Andrew Peters, our UT Daily Beacon softball beat writer. Andrew, it's uh, it's been a pretty good start to the season for Tennessee. The Lady Vols are up to a 12-1 start and probably had their best weekend of the season this past weekend, dominating in the Tennessee Invitational, outscoring their opponents 30-1. to What have been your uh, biggest takeaways from the strong start of the season? Yeah, they're just a, uh, they're a really great all-around team. <clears throat> they, um, they don't lack in many areas, and the areas that they do, or if they're lacking in one area during the game, there's usually uh, someone who can make up for it, either on the offensive side or defensive side. So if it's not a great pitching uh, game or a great defensive game, the offense is able to make up for it and vice versa. So really just they have a consistent, um, just a consistent and well-rounded team. Yeah, well-rounded certainly seems to be the case so far. And on the hitting end where Tennessee has been a little more inconsistent in past years, they've been really, really strong to start this season. Six, six starters hitting over 300, two hitting over 400. I think there's eight total players in the team hitting over 300. Just what have you seen from the Lady Vols lineup so far this season? And how sustainable is that play once they start playing better teams in SEC play? Yeah, I mean, they're a great hitting team. Um, I, don't, I don't think it's realistic for them to keep up that uh, having that many hitters hitting at that level. Um, but I do think that they can continue a pretty high level of hitting. Uh, it, I think it'll those numbers will see them drop a little bit once they start getting into some challenging play in the SEC and start seeing some tougher pitchers. But I do think overall they're a great hitting team. Um, and that's just one area though where I think they're going to excel this year. Yeah, what, what stands out to me about the hitting is – it's not just that people are getting on base, but there's there's a lot of power in the lineup. Four, mm-hmm. four girls with, with four home runs, one with six, one with three. All those players have three or more multi- or extra base hits on top of home runs. So it's not just that, you know, they're taking advantage of bad fielding or, or bad opponents, which that's obviously part of it. But they, uh, they definitely have talent on both contact and power. And going over to the pitching, Ashley Rogers missed all of the shortened 2020 season with due to injury, but she is back and has been great so far this season. What, what have you seen from her and how much does that do for Tennessee's upside? You know, how effective she's been this year in a sport that you can really ride one pitcher a long way. Yeah. Rogers having a great season. Um, you know, she obviously missed, I think like six, something crazy, like 600 days um, due to injury and then the shortened season. So I think the main thing is she's just excited to be out there again. Um, and I think that's kind of motivated her 
to just take her play to the next level um, and play as hard as she can each game. Um, I think she's also proving to be uh, in the conversation with some of those like all-time lady ball pitchers. You know, she joined elite company on Sunday, um, joining the top 10 um, on the lady balls all or single game strikeout record. Um, so I think kind of getting into that, uh, that conversation with some of those uh, former pitchers is huge for her. And I think that's somewhere she wants to be. Um, and then in terms of just her play, I think she really takes the team from a good team to a great team. Um, you know, if we didn't have Rogers, uh, I think they would still play at a really high level, but I think she's just a leader and she, uh, she just motivates her team to want to be better. So. Yeah. I mean, you talk about those lady balls, great. You know, some of those real deep runs Tennessee's made in the postseason under Monica Abbott, you wonder if they can recreate some of that, you know, Rogers, I don't think is quite as, as decorated as, as Abbott is, but still a very high level player. No doubt about that. Not the only Tennessee pitcher that's seen playing time so far this season. Samantha Bender's had three appearances, and then Callie Turner and Bailey McCarron have also seen four appearances. What have you seen out of them, and where do you think they kind of stack up in, in terms of who could be seeing the most innings behind Rodgers? Yeah, I think they're all going to see a lot, of, uh, a lot of innings this season. Obviously, Sam Bender had the great game on Sunday, the no-hitter. Um, so I think we're going to see a lot of innings from her um, in that relief role. Um, but I think I think they're all capable of of stepping up and and closing out games if they need to, um, and they're they've all proven that they um, that they can just be in that position to to close out a game um, and to get some strikeouts. But I think Sam Bender is definitely going to be uh, the Lady Vols' go-to behind Ashley Rogers. Certainly should be interesting to watch going forward. Tennessee has one more week of non-conference play, even though they will get a matchup with Texas A&M in, in the weekend tournament in College Station before they start their full SEC play the week after that against LSU. What's, what's the biggest concern? What's the biggest question mark thing this team needs to try to address going into SEC play? Yeah, so I think the biggest question is just can they keep this this high level of play against these tougher SEC teams? Um, in softball, you're gonna you're gonna see new pitchers every night um, and just different teams every night, and you have to make adjustments quick um, and you have to be consistent. That's kind of the main thing that Coach Wigley's talked about with the team, just being consistent um, in hitting and in pitching, and um, that's kind of what you have to do if you want to uh, if you want to keep this level of play against SEC teams and uh, further on into the postseason, so. Yeah, it certainly, certainly should be interesting to watch. Is like I said, a very strong 12-1 and start for Tennessee, but no no games against anyone, any power, five opponents. And certainly the SEC in, in college softball is as good as it gets in any sport, in any, any conference, in any sport. So we'll be interesting the rest of the way as the Lady Vols still have one weekend to go, one tournament in College Station before they start SEC play next weekend against LSU. That will do it for this segment of the Checkerboard Chat. We will be back in just a second to talk about a little bit of Tennessee volleyball. Welcome back for part three of this special edition of the Checkerboard Chat. and talk a little bit of Tennessee volleyball. I'm joined now in this segment by our UT Daily Beacon volleyball beat writer, Ethan Stone. Ethan, appreciate you being here with me to Balls went four and four in the fall season, and they kind of continued the same theme here to start the spring season two and two. They win two games at Missouri before losing two against Florida at home. What were your kind of takeaways from the first two weekends of play for Tennessee? So uh, 
right off the bat, Tennessee played some really difficult opponents um, to start the spring season. It was pretty brutal, honestly. They have number 16, Missouri, to start. They handled that well. Um, they beat them uh, pretty convincingly both times. I think the second one was a sweep. And then, of course, they had to go to Florida, number 18 in the country, best team in the SEC apart from Kentucky. Um, couldn't get it done there. The main takeaway I have is just that the team refuses to really give in to let up when when they're down and when they're when they're ahead um and something that stood out is set two i believe it was against florida in game game one they were down eight to two in the early in the set they came back they took the lead actually and then they went back down 24 to 20 and obviously you just need one more one more point to take the uh take the set and they they came back from that too um they're they're good against opposition um and yeah, that's 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 really my main takeaway. Yeah, it seems yeah. like, you know, even though they're just two and two, you mentioned two really good opponents, even the Florida game, they played most of the sets pretty close. How do you compare this team kind of in early in the spring season to what they were able to do in the fall season? Obviously, 500 records for both, but it kind of does seem like they're playing a little bit better right now. Yeah, um, I think it's especially, you know, it speaks well to them, especially because they're playing – in my opinion, they're playing better opponents, you know, I mean, we've only played four games thus far, but like I said, both of them have been against ranked teams. And even though they lost to Florida, they're playing well against these teams. Well, um, earlier in the fall season, the only real competition they had was Kentucky. Um, that was the first game of the season, you know, um, they had to warm up against top five team in the country, not just in the SEC. So, I think it speaks a lot to them that they could come out this spring season and really compete both games. Yeah, I mean, that, that's definitely a point I agree with. I mean, you just look at the fall, a lot of inconsistencies. I mean, it's hard to say they, they weren't inconsistent when you get swept in the two games against Florida, but Florida being a top 10 team, you know, they were they were in, you know, both those all three sets, it seemed like in both games, maybe a couple they weren't. But going forward, what's what's an area you feel like Tennessee needs to improve maybe realistically can kind of make some, uh, some steps forward. So my first couple games, I went to the, uh, the Missouri one to, to start off. And the thing I noticed right off the bat, um, offensively and really defensively too, this team is very solid. They get a lot of blocks. Um, Lily Feltz is phenomenal on the offensive end. She really has an ability to take over the game. Um, I feel like really the one place they, they need some work on is just, getting out of their own way at times you know um against florida they went kind of going back to earlier they took that lead after being down 24 to 20 they eventually gave up that set because they had a couple of errors you know just in in the late game you can't really do that against a really good team like florida and you know similar similarly against missouri they had in both in both matches they actually had more errors than missouri but they still found a way to get the win so just kind of cleaning up those errors going into uh going into March into the rest of the spring season. Yeah, you talked about Lily Feltz. She's, you know, she's been a big part of Tennessee's team the past few years, but specifically this season, it seems like she's taken it up an extra notch, been Tennessee's go-to player offensively. What have you seen from her? Yeah, so uh, like you said, she's she's the go-to player for Tennessee. She really has the ability to take over a game. Um, so far through 12 games, she's averaging a double-double. She has, um, she averages exactly 10 digs a game. Um, somewhere near about 12 kills a game. Um, and 
you know, I, I sound like a broken record, but she really does just have the ability to take over a game against Florida when um, when the Vols were down. You could tell that the sets were being thrown her way. I mean, she's like the point guard of basketball. She's like the quarterback. She's the one that leads the team when when they're kind of down, when when they really need a point. Yeah, certainly. And she's a, a big part of this Tennessee team and another year as well should be a big part again next year for Eve Rackham's team. Uh, good to have a player like that coming back. Now kind of moving forward, Tennessee has a couple more, I think four scheduled series left this this spring season, this weekend at home again against Mississippi State. What do you know about the Bulldogs? So they're not on the level of uh, probably to the relief of the volleyball team. They're not on the level of Florida and Missouri. So they're probably the, the one of the more tame opponents. The Vols are going to, um, the late Vols are going to play to start out the spring season. They're four and 10 on the year. They just came off two losses um, at Alabama. But kind of like Tennessee, they've always been competitive in their losses. They've only been swept three times, two of those coming to Kentucky, who, like I said earlier, is a top five team in the country. Um, their star player is uh, Gabby Waden. She's a junior. She has more kills than anybody on Tennessee as of right now. Their main problem really is they have a lack of like a second offensive threat. There are times that Waden literally carries the team. Yeah, that. Uh... Should be an interesting challenge for Tennessee this weekend. Consistency always such a big question in all college sports, especially teams that are kind of middling in the conference like Tennessee. Can they continue to the strong play they have had so far this spring will be something worth following. We'll have full coverage this weekend at utdailybeacon.com. One last thing on the way, way out here, Tennessee volleyball missed two series, one due to COVID at the start of the spring season early in February at AM, and then the winter weather canceled the weekend series at Ole Miss two weeks ago. Have you heard anything about that? Is there any chances that those, those games get made up at any point this spring? So I know that there's a week. I, I'm not exactly just off the top of my head sure which week it is. I believe it's the 25th, 26th, the week of the 25th, 26th. There's supposed to be a week that's, you know, set aside just in case that happened with the COVID year, obviously. And so there's a pretty high likelihood that one of those two um, series will be rescheduled to that point. I haven't heard anything, you know, just from from Eve or uh, for the SID um, on if those will for sure be rescheduled. But hopefully we can get some um, some of those missed uh, series in will be interesting to follow as Tennessee looks to get on the right side of 500 this weekend against Mississippi State and then finish strong in the spring season. Four more weekend series, eight games scheduled. And then, as we were just saying, a chance for at least hopefully one more series to get made up. We will have complete coverage of that. All of that this season on utdailybeacon.com. Ethan, appreciate you uh, joining me for this segment. We'll be back with a little bit more Tennessee sports here in just a sec. Welcome back to the fourth and final edition of the Checkerboard Chat. We're going to talk a little bit of Tennessee soccer now. The Vols went 4-3-1 and one on the fall season, earning an SEC East championship before falling in the first round of the SEC tournament. Now in the spring season, off to a 3-0 and start. I'm joined by our UT Daily Beacon soccer beat writer, Tommy Janikowski. Tommy, what's been your takeaways from the first three weeks of Tennessee's spring season? Um, it starts at the back for the Tennessee. Um, it starts with Lindsey Romig and Tara Katz and Bren French. Lindsey Romig in goal is, uh, 
an all SEC performer. Uh, she's really outstanding at communicating and controlling the defense. And uh, Ren French and Tara Katz are integral parts to the defense as they just really solidify this team at the back and help give up not a lot of goals in the fall and the spring. Yeah, that's certainly been the most consistent thing of Brian Pinsky's teams over the past few years. Always really good on the defensive end and in the back end. They've had some struggles the past year or so on the offensive end, but that's been elevated a little bit this spring by the play of freshman Jaden Thomas. She had three goals in the fall, was, was certainly one of the better players, offensive players on the team, but now seven goals through three games. What has she been able to do to raise her level of play and just how much has that changed Tennessee's team? Uh, Jade has been outstanding. Um, she's always moving forward. She's always possessing the ball and helping her teammates. Uh, a lot of these goals are a case of, you know, the right place at the right time. She's been at the doorstep of the goal, uh, cleaning up rebounds. Um, another thing that's really helped Jada is Mackenzie George and Abby Burdett. Abby uh, played a lot of defense last, in, or in the, in the fall rather. And spring, she's moved back to her natural position of forward where she played in high school. And uh, her and Mackenzie George have really helped Jada uh, spark the offense altogether. You know, Jada's really scored most of the goals, but she'll tell you in her interviews that, you know, it's a team effort. And Mackenzie and Abby Burdett are definitely helping her out with those goals. Yeah, and it's certainly been really a 180 for this Tennessee team on offense in the fall really struggled with just 11 goals. I think they only had two games. They scored more than one goal. Now, 11 goals in three games. Now, granted, Appalachian State and Gardner-Webb aren't the best. Xavier does have a good team. They were able to score three in that one. Do you think that's just a product of weaker competition, or do you think as they start to play some bigger schools here in the end of the season that they can continue to have better, more improved offense? Uh, easier competition definitely helps. You know, it's hard to blow out an SEC opponent, you know, 7-0, and that's all they faced in the fall season was SEC. Um, just under half their games in the fall were under were against ranked opponents. Uh, two of them were against Vandy, who's now ranked sixth in the coaches' poll. So that was a big part of it. But um, the addition of Abby Burdett has really sparked this offense. Um, you know, she's really played some of those incisive balls to Mackenzie George and Jada. And they've been able to, you know, put the, put shots on goal, clean up rebounds, and ultimately put the ball in the net. Um, but it's also the defense. You know, the defense has won 50-50 balls and held possession outstanding across the back line. And uh, it's really helped the team all around. Yeah, certainly should be interesting to watch, see if they can or how much they can continue to success. I don't think anyone expects it to continue at the same rate little bit different year in college college soccer excuse me college soccer we're talking about it in in March which makes it different but all the SEC play happens in the fall non-conference happens in the spring and then there is going to be an NCAA tournament talk a little bit about how that's going to be set up and and what you see the Lady Vols or excuse me the Vols outlook looking like here about a month month or so away uh well usually there's 64 teams uh much like the men's basketball uh but this year they've cut it down to just a 48-team bracket. Uh, there'll be 31 automatic qualifiers with 17 at-large selections. So uh, if the Lady Vols can't win the SEC tournament this year, they'll be looking for a, an at-large selection, one of those 17. Certainly should be interesting to watch. You know, 
as like you were saying earlier, SEC really good conference, far from the expectation being Tennessee to win it. So, you know, it's I mean, this. Is, I feel like the resume Tennessee's put together in a normal year probably would be good enough to get them in this year. I don't know. It's probably going to be on the bubble, so that's going to make it interesting as they close the year. They have four more games and chances to earn some marquee wins. They start with Wake Forest this weekend, and they also get North Carolina, Cincinnati, and Louisville. All four of those teams are pretty solid. North Carolina is one of the best teams in the country. But just starting this weekend with Wake Forest, what, what does Tennessee need to do to kind of start continuing to play at high level as they, they go against some four really strong opponents in the regular season? Uh, it starts with possession. You know, a lot of the fall season, they were they were chasing the ball a little bit. And this year, they've been able to possess the ball outstandingly. And uh, it's really helped move the offense. Um, if they can continue to get good midfield play from uh, newcomers like Hannah Tillett, um, they'll be able to really spark this offense. And if Abby, McKenzie, and Jada can continue to be that offensive threat that they've been this whole spring season, then there's no telling where this Lady Bowls team could go. Certainly should be interesting to watch as Tennessee takes on Wake Forest Saturday night at 6 p.m. Eastern time. We'll have complete coverage of that and all other sports that we talked about here, all their action this week at utdailybeacon.com. Thank you for joining us this edition of the Checkerboard Chat. Have a great rest of your week, everybody.